Welcome to Counseling with Dr. Trevor, a podcast dedicated to promoting positive mental health. Trauma is often associated with post-traumatic stress disorder. And naturally, disasters, war, sexual abuse, assault and torture are, of course, highly correlated with the presence of PTSD. Additionally, there is also significant trauma with a smaller T, trauma which colours how we behave, upsets us when we think about it, and is subject to stuck thinking or stuck memories and perhaps even flashbacks. So instances such as being bullied as a child or or as an adult, being involved in accidents, uh, really bad relationships, they're all common, common issues. That isn't to say that these events can't be tr- also be trauma with a big T, it's just that clients may often feel their trauma isn't big enough to be validated by treatment, especially when they hear about the horror of what others have uh, gone through. So how do you know if it is traumatising enough or if it in effect qualifies? Ask yourself, have I thought about this in the last month? And was it, is it still upsetting? If the events happened some time ago and you're still answering yes to these two questions, then it perhaps qualifies. So why doesn't my trauma just go away? Talking to someone can help, but doesn't always, just in the sense of clarifying what happened and starting to help process your memories or the trauma. It's processing which really helps. Processing, in this case, means moving a memory from a stuck position, i.e. it keeps coming back, recurring, and has flashbacks and is triggered by uh, things such as smells and sounds and sights, to one where the memory is processed. That means it doesn't affect you anywhere near as badly any longer in the ways or in the ways that it used to. But it doesn't come it doesn't come accompanied with the dread and the anxiety and the physical sensations of fear, but is in fact processed. It's almost as if it's been assigned to the right drawer in a in a filing cabinet. Uh, so in PTSD, reliving the trauma repeatedly in therapy may reinforce preoccupation and fixation is a quote by uh, um, Kessel van der Kolk in um, The Body Keeps the Score. Uh, so it's not just about about constantly reliving the trauma. It's, it's about effectively processing it. So serotonin may be a, a, a help in trauma, i.e. in the form of selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors or SSRIs such as Prozac. And the drugs may help in reducing symptoms, uh, altering the way people function day to day. The downside, of course, is that the drug treatment doesn't treat the underlying cause of the trauma. Uh, and we have decades of experience of people using antidepressants and high, with high levels of depression. And the antidepressant industry is sort of akin to the diet industry with obesity soaring while we continue to eat more and more low-fat, low-sugar foods. So while the SSRIs may play a role in calming an emergency situation, the problem really needs psychologically treating with antidepressants being a sort of first aid or a sticking plaster while the wound is carefully tended to by treating the underlying cause. Um, It's something that I rather prosaically refer to as shit life syndrome, meaning social life, friends, experience and educational background, etc. Tragedy and geographical sheer bad luck are amongst some of the potential factors feeding the underlying cause and they're not going to be solved by uh, chemicals alone. 
With distinct and specific trauma instances, however, it goes back to processing, and thanks to the development of technologies such as positron emission tomography, or PET scanning, and magnetic resonance imaging, or MRI, we can see the areas of the brain affected when negative memories are stimulated, and also the areas which light up when we're calm, logical or in sort of neutral thinking. To cut a long story short, the bit of the brain designed to assess threat, the amygdala, is activated not just when there is actual threat but also when there's uh, re-experiencing via memories of threat stroke trauma and going along with this there is the production of the hormones associated with fight flight or freeze or the fight flight or freeze mechanism when the neutral memories or non-threatening memories occur it's the prefrontal cortex which is in operation and i've written about this before uh, and the the ancient part of the brain and to quote psychiatrist steve peters the the chimp part of the brain and the accompanying human or the logical calm rational areas and although this is overly simplified these are the limbic system where the amygdala is located and the more modern prefrontal cortex that we're talking about um, and, you know, again, to quote um, Bessel van der Kolk, no matter how much insight and understanding we develop, the rational brain is basically impotent to talk to the emotional, talk the emotional brain out of its own reality. The limbic system where our emotional responses come from is, of course, stronger in general than a calming, rational voice coming from the prefrontal cortex. Think about the last fearful or rage-fueled incident you can remember vividly. How rational and calm were you? Usually when and if calm does come it is when you are thinking about the incident later and after the threat has disappeared and one of the problems with trauma is accurately assessing whether a situation person is actually a threat the areas of the brain including the amygdala termed the limbic system may well following trauma start to inaccurately assess threat and remember this is the part of the brain that always assesses any given situation for threat the information goes first to there and then if the threat doesn't seem too awful then to the prefrontal cortex it might might get a, a look in and offer some sort of calm uh, logic like it's okay this is not a threat and you can just carry on so in essence, the, the prefrontal cortex is our controlling mechanism. It inhibits us from saying and doing things, which, uh, when considered with any logic, that is, we shouldn't say or do, because clearly the consequences wouldn't be good. Um, even my angriest patients in the cold light of day or the calm of the counselling room can see their previous lack of inhibition. They're not under threat in the consulting room, they're also not being judged, and so they're accessing their prefrontal cortex and actively seeking control. They seek ways to master the impulses that overcome them at other times. Their actual rage is, of course, a response to threat, which is not just direct physical threat like, I'll smash your face in, threat, but also inconsiderate violation of territory, such as someone jumping in the front of them in a queue or cutting them up when they're driving. It can also be threatening to someone's freedom or autonomy, as in telling them what to do. The amygdala likes none of this. It doesn't want you to lose face, look bad, or be threatened. And when the stakes are high, the logical, watchful prefrontal cortex doesn't get a word in. Trauma can mean that the assessment of threat by the brain is supercharged, and the person suffering is overly hypervigilant for threat around them, even when in reality no genuine threat exists. So, in prolonged exposure therapy, the idea is that you gradually face trauma inflict 
inflicted memories to learn to overcome them. It's an approach, for example, promoted by the US Department of Veteran Affairs. Typically, exposure therapy might go on for around three months with weekly sessions of an hour and a half. Evidence suggests that exposure therapy is useful for reducing trauma symptoms. Uh, and I'm, I'm quoting Rothbaum and colleagues 2002 for that. There's a course, of course, the side effect of having to deal with the d discomfort of exposure is obviously this involves reliving uncomfortable and sometimes horrendous memories. But the counter argument is that someone living with trauma relives those thoughts and images a lot of the time anyway, and the contraindications or risk and harm from treatment appear to be very low, according to Van Minen and colleagues. So. Um, with EMDR then, eye movement desensitization and reprocessing, um, this is a relatively new uh, and exciting therapy uh, which comes up a lot in relation to PTSD and it's about coming up with new ways to deal with the experience, um, contain it and calm yourself. In terms of processing it becomes clear as a therapist that people uh, talk through a very upsetting experience and at least some of the time process it seemingly by being heard and understood. Although a word of caution here is that not uh, many of them of course do not. If you've felt the catharsis of a problem shared uh, but then felt like you're still just repeating the issue repeatedly going round and round in circles effectively then it may make you a good candidate for something like EMDR. Uh, so thought of by Francine Shapiro in the late 1980s originally, EMDR has gained traction as a frontline approach for trauma, including both with trauma with the, both the capital and lowercase t's. And what happens is a trained psychotherapist administers the therapy and they need to be effective in clearly identifying the correct target memories, the correct images uh, that people are suffering with. Once that's done, a protocol is followed which involves seeing and imagining the memory that causes problems whilst thinking about it, simultaneously following the therapist's fingers to affect lateral eye movements. Despite the years of research, the exact mechanism by which EMDR works is still unknown. A plausible mechanism is mimicking the movement seen in rapid eye movement sleep. So. With rapid eye movement sleep, it seems an important part of processing information which has occurred during the waking day while we're asleep. So that gives rise to the theory that it might be the, the eye movements that, that help. So how it works is not so well understood, but that it does work is much not so much under question with numerous strongly designed research trials showing an impressive reduction in symptoms for PTSD with as little as three times 90 minutes of treatment. A difference in the number of sessions to some extent will depend upon the complexity of the trauma with a single issue or event of trauma, for example, say somebody that's you know suffered a dreadful car accident but it was one event may get effective treatment from only one session but with multiple traumas i.e. years of abuse or numerous awful events happening on top of each other uh, numerous target memories might need processing separately it's not that someone who was abused for years needs to process every single memory they have but rather they need to process a number of them so for instance four or five to treat a linked or set of horrible events. In this case, it's as if the events track and the processing has a knock-on effect to other similar or, as I say, linked events. So the American Psychological Society lists cognitive behavioural therapy and prolonged exposure therapies for traumas as strongly recommended versus EMDR being conditionally recommended. Although a recent review and meta-analysis 
Um, a study that is that pulls a number of scientific experiments together suggests that EMDR is better than CBT in lowering PTSD symptoms and that was from Kahn and colleagues in 2018. So what happens in EMDR? Initially it's important to identify with clarity the memories and worse events relating to the trauma we're discussing to identify in an essence how this has left you feeling. This feeling may well uh, form an I message, for example, I feel worthless if that's how you're left. Uh, when the way you were treated very much made you feel that way. Next, we need to carefully prepare the opposite, i.e. the way in which you'd really like to feel about yourself. For instance, I have worth. The processing involves using memories and your negative belief and recalling replaying these whilst conducting sets of rapid eye movements, typically following the therapist, therapist moving fingers from side to side. Occasionally the therapist will check in what's changed in your physical sensations and the images and the thoughts coming up during the eye movements and they'll use scales to assess your feeling of disturbance and, you, and your feelings over the validity of the positive statement uh, being used. So <laughs> in, to talk about what the experience is like, it is strange to tell the truth. Uh, during my own initial experience, I chose a, a trauma with a small t uh, to work on, and my thoughts were, well, this isn't such a big trauma, just a little upsetting, and therefore it's not really perhaps going to have much of an effect. I was thinking specifically of a time when I left a job without giving any notice and, and felt like I'd let people down. Um, so trauma with a small t. Uh, something I keep going back to, but, a, but a certainly a small t. However, as the eye movement sets progress, the image of the building where I worked and the image of the disappointed people faded and moved further away. Happier times uh, that I had at the same place emerged and my thoughts changed as well. Uh, for instance, you were doing the best you could under the circumstances, it was a difficult time, etc. And by 24 hours after the treatment, the thought was so faded, even though my memory is still fully intact, that the slight trauma had completely gone and continues to be gone um, a long time later. So fellow trainees had made significant trauma, had more significant traumas than the one I'm describing, and they too changed, and everybody that I spoke with for the positive. Um, I looked for one who'd flopped, but in a room of about 30 people um, and, and more than a few tear-streaked faces, there were only really stories of people um, getting, getting success with the EMDR. So, I mean, how does it work? No one is absolutely sure, but it seems like the exposure to the trauma whilst going through the images and memories and not trying to shy away from them is, is made easier by simultaneously concentrating on having to track with your eyes. So they talk about these two things as dual processing because you, you know, you're doing two things at once. And potentially the eye movements themselves are doing something uh, physiologically, neurologically, to help you literally process the memory and put it into a place where you're not triggered by it con continuously every time you meet the the smell or the colour or the the type of person etc that that would that would normally that would normally trigger you. So the desensitisation referred to in EMDR is the process of remembering the negative memory or image, including things like audio and olfactory sensations or smell sensations, whilst carrying out the eye movements. Something which is ordinarily very upsetting seems less so during the process. And it's not to say that it doesn't upset people, because it does, 
but the idea is as much as possible to keep going with the images and the thoughts and the physical feelings which come up and continue the eye movements and the therapist will typically ask you what comes up in between successive sets of the eye movements and you just need to truthfully say what that is and keep on going if the process becomes too upsetting you can stop of course otherwise you push on through almost like you're driving through a a dark tunnel just trying to get through to the other side so i hope that's um informative and useful to you in relation to considering eye movement desensitization and reprocessing for uh, ptsd uh, and i wish you well with it i hope you found that useful and i look forward to you joining me again on counseling with dr shadow or you can find us at www.counselingwithdrshadow.net